Welcome to Lords of Order, a DC Doctor Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. You can send feedback to the Doctor Fate fan podcast at Gmail. There's room for comments at bigtimenoise.com slash Fate. That's the website. And on the Lords of Order pages on Facebook and Google+. This episode, episode 41, More Fun Comics, issue 70, from August 1941, is the topic. The script was by Gardner Fox, pencils, colors, uh, pencils inks and letters by Howard Sherman. Um, as I mentioned last episode, no mention of colors. I always wonder who who did the colors for these Golden Age books. This can be found in the Golden Age Dr. Fate archives put out by DC in 2007. Um, as far as I can tell, that's the only place that most, if not all, of these more fun comics stories for Dr. Fate have been uh, reprinted. And as with last issue, the cover for this issue uh, has Dr. Fate as the main feature, but the cover has absolutely nothing to do with the story inside. Uh, it's a nice action cover. shows Dr. Fate pulling a pilot out of what is presumably a fighter plane. There's a gun here in front of him. It must be a jet plane because the wings on this plane are very, very short. Shorter than a man is long on one side, the, the one wing. So, very short, stubby wings. All right, we open um, with Enza and Kent boarding a steamer because Enza wants to introduce Kent to an associate of her. Inza has a lot of associates. I wonder if Kent needs to be worried for the health of their romantic relationship. Last episode issue, it was, um, oh, I forget her name, Rosa something, that old lady that led him into the, or not uh, last episode, the episode before, uh, the last All-Star issue we talked about, that old lady that was part of the Magico thing. She went to, got to Kent through Inza. So, I guess she is his weak link. That's that's unfortunate. But here again, Enza is the go-between between Kent and... Let's see if she names the gentleman here. She should. Bob Walker. He's an explorer of uh, some little renown. And on his last expedition, he ran into some issues that forced him to cut the expedition short. Inza is aware of the story uh, somehow, I guess, you know, in, in communication with Bob. And she believes that Kent, as Dr. Fate, can help Bob. So she wants to introduce the two of them. And as soon as they walk into the uh, captain's cabin here, Inza introduces him. This is Kent Nelson, Bob. He is also Dr. Fate. So just right off the bat what is the point of having a secret identity if the your if your paramour is giving it away just willy-nilly uh, you know maybe maybe dr fate really doesn't have to worry about that too much for him you know if anybody knows because 
Well, I don't know why. I don't know if as a human like this he could really do anything without the helmet on and he doesn't have anything with him where he's carrying the helmet. So maybe it's not like Tony Stark. You know, he always carried... Oh, spoiler, by the way. Uh, he always carries that uh, briefcase, you know, that has the armor in it. So, But uh, so she introduces both Kent and Dr. Fate to Bob Walker. Uh, Bob tells his story. He and his men were up north approaching Glacier Peak and they were hit by a windstorm. A windstorm that was so severe that somehow it managed to kill everyone else in the party that Bob was a member of except Bob himself. And as the windstorm subsided he heard laughing uh, apparently being carried by the wind. Laughing in the wind as it were not laughing into the wind, which of course we all know is foolish, but a laughter carried by the wind. Says uh, the, the narrator tells us that, uh, or actually he is the narrator in this particular section, uh, Bob. Bob tells us that for weeks I staggered and struggled across those barren wastes. Now, what struck me as interesting is these aren't just barren wastes, okay? These are, these are, this is a, a section of the Arctic. So, I'm not sure how he could have struggled for weeks walking across any portion of the Arctic. He's a heck of a man, but okay. Until finally he gets back to his initial boat from which he launched the uh, land portion of his expedition. Told the men on the boat there the story. Of course they didn't believe him, but he was, if not you know, in charge, the captain, he was higher up enough to convince everybody, let's let's cut it short and just take off, and they came back. Kent gives Bob a ring that he says, Kent says, is fashioned from the crystal of the great ball that hangs in my Salem Tower. Wear it, I shall always see you when you wear this. When you're in danger, I will come. So it's some kind of like... Um, Although we know from previous stories that the crystal ball is a scrying device, so all he has to do is look in it at whatever he wants to see, and he would see that. But he gives Bob a portion of it, and it um, makes it almost like feel like a, a two-way device, almost like the uh, Palantir spheres of uh, Lord of the Rings fame, uh, for those of you that may be familiar with that. It did show up in the movies, but it's it's much more prominent in the books, if you read the books. So, right, right after this, um, Bob was preparing to undertake another expedition to the same area where he lost all of his men before. And so when they finished talking, in, the, in Kent are on shore exchanging, you know, pleasantries and remembrances of their little meeting with Bob as the ship steams off to parts of Arctic known and unknown. Now, out of nowhere, as they're talking, Kent says, a wind that slays and laughs. It sounds like something that those arch-villains Wotan and Karkle would come up with. Where in the world did that come from? There, There's no... Yeah, okay. I guess, again, like so many other things, the, the point is to advance the story. Not necessarily do anything logical but just you know move the story along because 
I, I don't know. He's, you know, he's faced people that have come back, but he's faced any number of just unknown people that have popped up doing things. So, you know, why couldn't this be one of those just unknowns? So, already we have an indication of kind of who's going to be behind this, because otherwise I would imagine that they wouldn't have name-dropped. Um, they proceed back to the uh, Tower of Fate exchange again some just some this and that talks uh, mainly he's uh, he Kent is talking about why Karkle and Wotan could very well be behind this uh, just solidifying even more that that must be the baddies that we're going to face and then uh, he he points out to Enza not and then sorry points out to Enza his scrying sphere and that you know and so if anything happens I will be able to see it there and there's a nice panel with him and Enza in this big ball hanging in the air the big crystal ball so we cut to Bob Walker the narrator tells us steadily northward the scientific boat plows her way through icy waters Bob and expedition get to the um first their their base camp from which they will move out on their land portion of their expedition only this time bob says i'm going to take this plane that we have and fly that same route that i flew before and if everything's okay uh, of course i'll come back and then we will head out on foot says it should take me about 10 hours so that's what about a a five-hour trip one way by plane so he goes, and in the midst of his flight, he loses control. Uh, it's being controlled by another uh, energy, another entity, whatever. It's it's the the plane is locked. He can't turn. He can't change speed. He can't alter anything. He radios his men. Um, he also scries or mystically radios, or however you want to refer to it, uh, Doctor Fate. And uh, another uh, curious thing here. Enza says, after Dr. Fate has received word from Bob Walker, don't leave me alone, I'm scared. When you say it's danger, it must be horrible. Okay, and she's standing here dressed in a nice big fox fur coat, it looks like. So Dr. Fate responds, then come with me. Danger would be always with you in my tower. For the primal ones, that's what he has taken to calling whoever is creating, well, as far as they know, just this windstorm that killed Bob Walker's previous expedition members, all except for himself. Know me and mine. You should be safer with me, but whether or not you will be, or whether or not you will, remains to be seen. Very confusing verbiage, but more more to my interesting uh, not my point is interesting, but why I'm interested is that um, he's he's going to the Arctic to face villains unknown, presumably Wotan and Karkle. Karkle is just a human scientist, meh. Okay, Wotan is a sorcerer of age and ability equal to those that grant Kent Nelson his powers as Doctor Fate. 
So it's, you know, it's an evil Dr. Fate in essence. But yet, Inza, rather than staying in Fate's Tower, which I'm sure have all kinds of protective wards and all that kind of stuff over it, she's safer physically with him as he goes to the Arctic, a very non-human place, by the way, to face his two uh, premier arch-villains up to this point in his career. So I, I just thought that was... Um, yeah, uh, just another odd decision by both of them. So they fly, um, Dr. Fate carrying Inza. And again, this isn't the laid out kind of flying that Superman does. This is the running in air, um, magically held aloft flight. They get to the Arctic, to the vicinity of the plane before the plane gets to the location of the energy that has taken it over but they can see quickly enough where the plane is headed um, a huge domed city roofed in by the great that great circle of glass dr fate carrying inza intercedes between the plane and the city breaking the, the grip that whatever energy had over the plane, sending it on its way, uh, citing the powers of Isis, Dr. Fate does. So he uses Isis's power to stop the plane. Freed up, it heads back to the main base there on the coast of, of whatever portion of the Arctic that they're on. Phaeton ends a land and proceed into the building, being captured, I guess you could say, by some standard thug with a, a Tommy gun. Once inside, uh, indeed, Wotan and Karkel are the ones behind this, and they, they introduce themselves, if introduce is the correct word. And the, the thing uppermost in Dr. Fate's mind is how Wotan got out of his last predicament. Uh, if we think back, Wotan had been defeated by Dr. Fate and in an unconscious state had been, by fate, surrounded by a, a, a bubble, of a force bubble of some sort, pushed into the uh, core of the earth and left there. So he was imprisoned in the center of the earth. What Wotan did, apparently, was he released his uh, psychic self, kind of like Marvel's Doctor Strange does a lot, and went in search of someone that could help him free himself, because he knew how to get out, but, well, and, and now that I think about it, this is kind of odd, too. He was unconscious after his fight with Doctor Fate, uh, left in that state, but inside his head he was conscious enough to come up with this plan to release his psychic self to have enough knowledge of his situation and surroundings to know what he needed to do to get out so I guess that means that he wasn't unconscious he was just mystically held in thrall or something like that I don't know just I guess a storytelling loophole for me but anyways, the mystic self is on the surface, roaming around, runs into the shadow form of Karkle, or, I mean, that, that's all he is. He was reduced to shadow, as we recall. 
he speaks with Karkul, gets Karkul's help. Uh, Karkul is able to utter whatever incantation it is that frees Wotan. And so the two have teamed up to found this um, city for nefarious purposes. It doesn't really... Wotan tells Doctor Strange, here we have built strange weapons with which to attack the world. So I guess they've made like an evil base, and from that base they're going to launch their takeover of the planet. To demonstrate, Wotan uh, takes everyone over to a viewing screen, and they watch as some naval ship, um, a battleship, Wotan calls it, is swamped by waves that the the ship was near the Arctic somewhere, and he swamps it with waves and sinks it to the bottom of the ocean uh, because he can, uh, as a, a show of force. Bob now has landed back at the main base. He gathers his men and says, Hey, I know where dude is that is causing us problem. Let's go back and attack because I think they also captured Dr. Fate Ninza. So we'll we'll defeat the bad guys and we'll help free Dr. Fate. So Bob and his men in a couple planes approach and land and attack this glass domed city. A scout, or not a scout, excuse me, a lookout there in the city goes and tells Wotan, who quickly puts Dr. Phaeton in in a cell, and then goes to take care of the attacking uh, forces. Bob Walker and his men, we never see more than four or five men, so I don't know how many they have. They can't have too many more than that. And they're breaking down a door in the city with a big log, says the... uh, lookout guy. Where they would have gotten a log in the Arctic, I'm not sure. Unless, I guess, they brought it with them. They, you know, had thought, they had mined enough when they were getting ready to launch their attack to grab a a supply log and put it aboard the plane, and yeah, I I, I don't know. That's kind of weird. But but a log, so they're, they're battering the door down. Wotan is able to unleash the, uh, the winds that, that he's used before and blows them up into the air. We then switch to Phaeton Inza in their cell who come to a uh, an agreement that Phaeton needs to do something. Inza has to stay because she'll be safer in the cell. Now see, here, here we go. They're in the lair of the bad guy and Inza is going to be safer by herself in a cell than with Dr. Fate. But originally, when they took off, Inza would be safer with Dr. Fate than in the Tower of Fate. So, uh, Dr. Fate leaves her, heads up, confronts uh, Wotan, finds out what he's done with the men, Bob Walker's men, bypasses Wotan and goes and saves them all of them, apparently. So I guess they were blown so high into the sky that it gave Dr. Fate time to get out, locate them, and bring them back to the Earth safely. I, I guess. Uh, he tells them to, uh, to, you know, to stay away, go back to your base, go back to your ship. Uh, Karkul and Wotan are, t- are too dangerous. I'll take care of them. You go do that and, and be safe. So... 
fate heads back. While this is going on, Wotan and Karkle and some generic thugs realize that Inza is still in her cell, so they go get her. As soon as they get her out of their cell and they're they're done threatening her, Dr. Fate shows up. Wotan attacks Fate with flames of energy. And the narrator tells us, flames leap from Wotan's hand. Dr. Fate, with Inza, leaps aside. The flames strike the metal walls, rebound, and... Uh, supposedly, Karkle, Wotan, and any thugs in the vicinity are immolated because the flames bounce back and consume them. Fate and Inza fly off. We see the burning city below. And they go back to the uh, Bob Walker's Arctic base there on the coast. And Dr. Fate says that Wotan and Karkle are done for. Now you can search in these snows as much as you wish. And so ends this episode of Dr. Fate's Adventures in More Fun Comics. Now, something that I wanted to read here but I neglected to was this opening narration for the story. With the magic and sorcery of which he is an acknowledged master, the mysterious man who calls himself Dr. Fate walks forever against evil. Deep in the Arctic mountains, he is to meet two old enemies, Wotan and Karkle, monster of shadows. Very much sounds like the something that you would hear on old-timey radio. I think those are are pretty cool. So, all right, guys, there we go. That's more fun. Comic seventy. Uh, some more feedback here on the Facebook page by Mr. Kyle Benning in reference to episode thirty-six. He says, "Great episode. I'm really enjoying your recap of the Golden Age Doctor Fate adventures." The issue of Detective that this Fate story is reprinted, reprinted in is a 100-page giant. This series is the genesis of DC writer, editor, and comic historian E. Nelson Bridwell. He wanted to celebrate DC's great stories from the Golden Age, so he pushed for the 100-page Super Spectaculars, books that reprinted Golden Age material, and even printed stories that had been created for inventory and then never used. The 100-page Super Spectacular series itself ran for something like 20 issues before the format then was carried over to monthly books. So you'd have a 100-page giant of Detective or Superman that had a main feature starring the predominant starring the predominant feature of the book, like Batman or Superman, and then a number of reprinted stories that could either again feature the main character or a whole host of other characters. These reprinted stories were typically a blend of Silver Age and Golden Age stories. For example, in addition to this Golden Age Dr. Fate story, Detective Comics 442 also reprinted a 1945 Batman story, a 1948 Black Canary story, and a 1943 Newsboy Legion story. The issue then reprinted Silver Age stories starring Elongated Man and Hawkman. So there's a, a an update on the book that that story was reprinted in that I talked about in Lords of Order 36, and that story would have been the story from More Fun Comics 68. The, the Dr. Fate story from More Fun Comics 68. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate the 411 there, sir. 
And that should pretty much wrap it up this episode, guys. Next time out will be All-Star Comics uh, Volume 1, Issue 6 from 1941. Ciao. Lords of Order is a Teal production, and as such is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative 3.0 unported license. <laughs>